go ahead and grab a Bible and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4 is where we're going to be. We're going to continue this verse-by-verse series. If you are a guest, uh, we're walking through the book of 1 Timothy together. Every Sunday, we're walking as the Bible was written and studying through it. We're reading through on our own uh, in our personal time of the Lord. Our life groups are studying around it, and we are digging into this great New Testament book of 1 Timothy. So go ahead and turn there. Chapter 4 is where we're going to be in just a moment. As you're turning there, if you need a Bible, if you don't have one this morning, there's a paperback uh, copy in front of you in the seat pocket. That's our gift to you, so you can take that if you need a copy of God's Word, and the words will be on the screen here in just a few minutes. Uh, Before I read, I kind of want to set the trajectory, uh, if you will, of where we're headed and the big idea that we're going for in this text that Paul seems to be communicating in this letter, and it's the idea of influence. Influence. Now, if you take the word influence and you Google it or you look it up in a dictionary, you know, maybe one of those old paper dictionaries that you have to turn the pages, who uses those? But if you look it up on Google, you'll find a definition like this. It says this, influence is the capacity to have an effect. That's a good definition. Influence is the capacity to have an effect on the character, the development, or the behavior of someone. Influence is your capacity and my capacity to have an effect on someone's character, on their decisions, on their behavior. Now imagine as you sit here this morning, as you think back over your life. I was just doing this this morning and last night as I was kind of putting the final touches on it. I was thinking over my life, I can think of key men and women that God has placed into my life that were that. They were an influence. They had an effect Maybe in your life it was a parent, or maybe in your life it was a brother, or a sister, or a teacher. As I stand here, a teacher's face comes to my mind. When I was in high school, I was, made some silly decisions and did some silly things, and there was a, a teacher who God placed in my life that was instrumental, an algebra teacher of all things, that, that just loved me and prayed for me and was an influence in my life. Maybe for you it was a coach or a pastor or a friend or something like that. Maybe a boss or an employee. Do you look back over your life? Who would you just who comes to mind as one of those key influencers in your life? Now I want you to wrestle this morning with the reality that as every one of us in this room sit here this morning, each one of us have an, an immense capacity to be influencers in the lives of other people. That definition is true of every human, but that definition is exceedingly true for every child of God who has the Spirit of God living inside of you. You have an enormous capacity for effect in the lives of people around you. It seems that as Paul is writing the letter of 1 Timothy, particularly here in chapter 4, as he thinks about the church there at Ephesus where Timothy was a pastor, Paul is writing this letter and it seems he has something on his mind of the influence that Timothy has on the people there at the church. Now, be careful because you can read this and maybe you read through it in your own time and you say, well, Paul here is talking to a pastor or maybe he's just talking to those super Christians. He's not really talking to me. But here's what I want you to know this morning. Every single person and especially every child of God, you have immense capacity to have an effect in the lives of people around you. 
for the glory of God. Listen, you have immense capacity to have an effect on the people's lives around you and it not be so good, right? Maybe when you look back over your life, you think of some people God has maybe brought into your life or maybe you're not sure God brought them, but they were there. Maybe they had a a negative impact on your life. Listen, you have the capacity for incredible good, but you also have the capacity for negative impact. So Paul's talking about influence here, and I'm going to read verses 6 through, oh, about verses 13 or 14. And I just want you to have in mind, Paul's talking to his young son in the faith, Timothy, about the influence that Timothy can have in the place where God has planted him. Exactly the same for you. Teacher, coach, parent, student, boss, employee, as a follower of Christ. I I just want you to wrestle this morning. No entity on earth is more than the church has the capacity to unleash in our world those that bring a positive influence in our world with the message of Christ, the person of Christ. No entity but the church has that capacity. And you as children of God have that. So Paul writes, I'll read, you can follow along, beginning in verse 6. He says this, In pointing out these things to the brethren, Paul says to Timothy, in pointing out some things, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And he's talking about some of the things he's already written, some of the things he's already encouraged Timothy in. One of the roles of an influencer is you point out things. Sometimes you point out positive things. Sometimes you point out negative things in people's lives. He said, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus constantly nourished, love that phrase, we're going to talk about that this morning, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do, Paul says, now hold on, contrast, Timothy, have nothing to do with worldly fables, that's things that float around masquerading as truth, he says run from those things, fit only for old women, what does that mean? What are you picking on grandma for, Paul? Why do you say it like that? Well, he says it like that because in that day, the idea of an older woman represented a person who might be more gullible than others. In those days, false teachers would, and you read it in 2 Timothy, take advantage of those who might be more needy or more dependent to take advantage of. They were more gullible. Paul's saying, don't be gullible. Don't let sneak in that's not true. On the other hand, verse 7, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The phrase godliness is going to appear in this passage. The phrase godliness appears throughout the letter of 1 Timothy. Paul is very concerned about the godliness, if you will, in the life of Timothy. And then he makes a promise. Listen to this. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. Now listen, working out is good. Running is good. Crossfit is good. Whatever exercise. But he says, listen, that may have little profit, but let me tell you something that profits much more than that. He said, a pursuit of godliness is profitable for all things since it holds the promise for the present life and also the life to come. The value of a man or woman that is pursuing godliness has immense value in this life and the life to come. Verse 9, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. 10, for this we labor and strive because we fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe or command and teach these things. Verse 12, 
Let no one look down on your youthfulness. Timothy was a young dude. He was in his mid-30s, we think. Evidently, there was a tendency for Timothy to share some of these truths, for Timothy to hold these things out, and there was a bit of mumbling or grumbling of, well, that young whippersnapper, he has no experience in life. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And they would give themselves a pass to listen to what Timothy had to say, even though it was from the Word of God, because he was such a young guy. Paul says, Timothy, let me tell you how you overcome your liability, if you will, of being young. He said, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Timothy, you show yourself to be the example of those who believe. Listen, parents, you want something, you want a verse to pray for your son or your daughter, your student. God, I pray that no one would look down on my kids because he's young or because she's young, but they would be the example. And thank God for some students we have even in our fellowship are, are that example of speech and conduct, love and faith and purity. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Why do we in a church stand up on Sunday morning and give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, the teaching of God's Word? Because the Bible commands us to do that. Do not neglect, verse 14, the spiritual gift which is within you, which was given, bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance, the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, in our case the elders. 15, take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress, your progress will be evident to all. Verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Persevere. Persevere. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, here's influence. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you or those who are under your sphere of influence. So, as you hear this, you can hear the heart of Paul coming out for Timothy. He recognizes Timothy is in a place of influence. Timothy has incredible capacity to influence not just the church there in Ephesus, but the city there in Ephesus. And he's talking to Timothy about the idea of influence. Influence is capacity. Influence is the capacity to have an effect. So what is it that we take from this passage that Paul says are some things that we can learn about being a godly influence? I want you to know this morning there is immense power. Power. In a godly influence. You and I have that potential as followers of Christ. So I'm going to give you five things this morning. Five realities that come right out of this passage. You can write these down. They'll be up on the screen for you. Some things we want to pursue together out of the word of God. That Paul says are involved in a godly influence. Number one, I'll give you these. Five of them. Number one. Godly influence flows out of a well-nourished soul. First place Paul starts back in verse 6 is he talks about the soul of Timothy, or if you will, the health of Timothy, the spiritual vitality of Timothy. Before I even read the verse, here's the question for you in this morning. I'm talking to believers. What is the condition of your soul this morning? I mean, would you say that the condition of your soul is, man, you're in a healthy, vibrant, growing place, you're energized, you're thriving, or if you had to be real honest, you'll say, man, I'm in a... I'm in a place where I feel like I'm just getting by. What is the condition of your soul, men and women, this morning? Look what Paul says. 
He says, back to verse 6, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. And here's the phrase. Constantly nourished. Constantly nourished on what? On the words of the faith and on sound doctrine. Now this is an immense reality for you and me this morning. And this is something we talk about here all the time. This is something we hold out. We try to model. We try to teach. The idea is that influence, impact, ministry, fruitfulness, whatever you want to call it, always flows out of a well-nourished soul. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I'm, yes, I'm concerned about what you're going to be doing, but I'm much more concerned about who you are and the condition of your soul and the condition of your heart. Timothy, are you in a healthy, thriving place? The word nourished here means literally, it's a word of feeding. It's, it's an ongoing, it's a, it's a present participle, it's an ongoing process. It's the idea of not just eating, it's the idea of digesting and the human body specifically being energized, strengthened at full capacity. He uses a metaphor. It's like sitting down to a meal and just eating a fine meal. It's like this. Let's say you're out and you've had a full day, man, you have worked hard, physical labor, and you walk in, you go into the kitchen, and there's a kitchen table, and on the kitchen table, you are exhausted, you're starving, and on the kitchen table is a cracker and a a cup of water. And you go, man, I'm starving, I need some nourishment, as opposed to walking in and I'll brag on my mother-in-law because she's here. I would brag on my wife, but she's not here this morning, so I'll brag on my mother-in-law. I love when I go to my mother-in-law's, and maybe this is a hint, you know, my wife's out of town. Anyway, I love going to my mother-in-law's house, and she's prepared meatloaf. Now you say, meatloaf? Is that the best you could come up with? I love Sue Belcher's meatloaf. And then she has creamed corn and mashed potatoes and okra and sweet tea and bread and all these things I love. And, man, I walk in, and here's what I'm thinking. Man, I'm going to get some nourishment today. Right? Now, that's the word that Paul uses, and the idea is this. Watch this. What a good meal is for the body, the word of God is for your soul. Paul says, Timothy, you must be constantly nourished on the words of faith. Paul says, Timothy, God has entrusted to you, not not ink on a page. When you hold your Bible, you're holding a revelation. You're holding a a recording. You're, You're holding the Word of God as given to us a record, a written record of God's revelation. A written record of what has come from the very mouth of God. It is the means by which He, through the Spirit of God, nourishes the soul of His children. And some of us, some of us are trying to live this thing called the Christian life. You're trying to live this life and you go in and you take a cracker from the kitchen table and a cup of water and then you wonder why you're struggling in your faith. And we wonder why we're struggling with joy. And we wonder why we're struggling with influence. It is not that complicated. God has given us the bread of life. And it is nourishment nourishment to our soul the word here is the idea again to be eaten and digested and obeyed and lived out 
Man, this Bible from Genesis to Revelation makes promise after promise after promise to you and me that if we will take this book and we will intake this book and we will build our lives on the Word of God as the Spirit of God takes them into our lives. Listen to some of these promises. You don't have to look these up. I'm just going to read them to you. They won't be on the screen. Job 23, 12. Job says, I have not departed from the command of your lips, your word. I have treasured the words of your mouth more than my necessary food. Job said, I have treasured, I have treasured what comes from the mouth of God. Psalm 19 says this, the word of the Lord or the law of the Lord is perfect. That means it's complete, it's blameless, it's lacking in nothing. No other book you will ever read can make that claim. The law of the Lord is perfect. Listen to this, restoring the soul. The Bible promises, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and puts us back together on a day-in and day-out basis. It's an ongoing daily process. Listen, confession time. Do you ever feel like everything is just unraveling? (laughs) Say, Pastor Mike, you must be reading my mail. No, I just, I get it. I know life. Sometimes it seems like everything's unraveling around us. Sometimes it seems like everything's coming apart. And then it seems like we're the ones who are coming apart. Listen, here's the promise of the Word of God. He may not change all your circumstances, but He will will restore and put your soul back together so that your perspective on your circumstances is completely different. And I can walk through it. It's the promise of the Word of God. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts, all all words for the Scripture. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Rejoicing the heart. God makes a promise of joy in the heart of His children when we build our lives on the Word of God. Isn't that beautiful? Paul says, listen to me, that you're going to be an influence. Influence is the overflow of a well-nourished soul. Jesus, Matthew 4, said this, when being tempted in the desert, he said, man, woman, human, humanity shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus says, listen, your nourishment will come from the word of what's the condition of your soul right now the current health of your soul your energy your vitality your fruitfulness your joy your wisdom your influence your capacity to love is a direct is directly related to the place you give God's word in your daily life no way around it brothers and sisters It's a gift. It's a gift. That's why we read through God's Word. That's why we hold out God's Word to all of us. It's a non-negotiable if we're going to walk with God and be an influence. Godly influence always flows out of a well-nourished soul. Now, time out. I'm going to get in your business a little bit more. Ready? (laughs) On my desk at home... I have three or four really good devotionals, and I like them. I got one by Tim Keller I'm reading right now through the Psalms, and I love devotions. I love a little bit of Scripture and then someone to talk about it. But let me tell you something. Devotionals 
to our soul are like an appetizer instead of the main course. In other words, I love them, I think they're great, but if you think you can thrive and be fruitful and have influence when all you're doing is eating a little appetizer of someone else's comments on the Word of God, let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, you are cheating yourself. You're cheating yourself. Constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of true doctrine, sound doctrine, the living Word of God. Of God. Oh, how I long for that for you, for me, for my family. So, a life of influence is a life that will flow out of a well nourished soul. Let me give you a final illustration and we'll move on to the next ones. The next ones are shorter, don't worry. One of my heroes is a man named William Tyndale. If you don't know who William Tyndale is, if you're holding an English Bible in your hand this morning, you owe it, humanly speaking, to William Tyndale. William Tyndale lived in Great Britain and England, he was martyred in 1536. He committed his life that the Bible would be translated from the language that it was in to English. He believed every human being, every Englishman of that day had the privilege of owning their own Bible in the vernacular of the day, English. Well, there were those that didn't like that and didn't agree with William Tyndale because they understood it took power away from them, so they locked him up and put him in prison. 1536, he was martyred for this. He was murdered for this in prison. Before he was martyred, he wrote a letter. In prison, he made a request for some things that he would want while he was in prison in his last dying days. Here's the end of his letter. He made this request. Go ahead and put that letter up on the screen. William Tyndale says this. Here's what I need. He says, I need a warmer cap. It's cold. I need a candle, a piece of cloth to patch my leggings. <laughs> leggings. Above all, listen to this. I beseech and entreat your clemency. That was the person in authority. To be urgent with the procurer. That's the person who ran the prison. That he might kindly permit me to go to, to have my Hebrew Bible, my Hebrew grammar, and my Hebrew dictionary that I may spend some time in study. Listen, as far as we know, William Tyndale never preached another sermon. He wasn't studying to teach or preach. You know what he was doing? In prison, he was nourishing his soul. Life of influence flows always out of a well-nourished soul. What's the condition of your soul this morning? The second truth is this, and these will go a little quicker, is this. Paul continues to talk to Timothy. He says, secondly, a godly influence is the fruit of a disciplined life. Verse 7, Paul makes a great statement. He says again, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, here's the phrase, discipline yourself for the purpose, for the purpose of godliness. Now the word discipline here in the original language is the word gymnazo. We, we literally get the word gymnasium from it. It means rigorous training. But not rigorous training just for the sake of rigorous training. Listen, discipline without a purpose is drudgery. I don't like running, but I know I'm running to be healthy, and I know I work out to be more healthy. There's a purpose. Paul says, listen, discipline yourself in your own life for the purpose, for the sake of godliness. 
Now, godliness is one of those words we use. Well, he's a godly man. He's, he's a godly woman. We, we talk about that from time to time, but the phrase godly is a little bit hard to get your mind around. Let me take a stab at it. Jerry Bridges, who wrote a book about it, said this, Godliness can be defined as devotion to God, which results in a life that is pleasing to Him. John Murray said, The fear of God is the soul of godliness. John MacArthur said, the heart and soul of godliness is Christ-like character. Christ and his character becoming more and more like Jesus. And the aim of it is the Christian life. And here's a short definition, maybe you can get your mind around. It's devotion or worship in action. And I have this awe of who God is. I'm growing in Christ's likeness, less of me, more of Jesus. I'm growing in, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, those things we long for. I'm growing in influence and impact. My life is manifesting that in every area of my life. I want that. I desire that. Paul says, listen, discipline yourself for the purpose of God. Now, if you know some other passages in the Bible, you might be scratching your head going, now, hang on. I thought God produced godliness in me. In fact, if you know your Bible, you know 2 Peter. Peter says something that seems to contradict Paul. I mean, are these guys at odds with one another? Listen to what Peter said. 2 Peter says this, seeing that his, that's God's, divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness... Through a true knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and excellence. Wait a minute, Peter. You said God's already given us everything for godliness. Paul over here is saying, hold on. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. I mean, are Peter and Paul going at it? What? No, they're not going at it at all. They're absolutely complementary to one another. And here's the big idea. The big idea is this. God has given everything to you, child of God, necessary for you to grow in godliness and Christ-likeness and influence and impact. He's given it to you in His Word. He's given it to you in His Spirit. He's given it to you in the body of Christ, the people of God. He has given it to you. But at the same time, the Bible calls us to pursue it. And to discipline ourselves in such a way that we can grow. We can grow in Christ's likeness. I try to think of a way to maybe illustrate this for us a little bit this morning. So this summer, I'm one of those Olympic guys. I love watching the Olympics. Maybe you watch the Olympics. Everybody knows who Michael Phelps is, right? Michael Phelps, the most decorated Olympic athlete ever. He's a swimmer. I mean, Michael Phelps, think of it this way. God created Michael Phelps to be a swimmer. I mean, that guy's made to swim, right? I mean, his arms, he can wrap his arms all the way around his body like twice. His arms are so long. His hands are like boat paddles. They're massive. God has given to Michael Phelps, humanly, everything he needs to be a great swimmer. Listen. Michael Michael Phelps did not become the most decorated Olympian ever by sitting on the couch eating chips and binging on Netflix nothing wrong with binging on Netflix necessarily but the point is he had everything given to him but his life had to be characterized by discipline so that he could pursue the goal and the prize Paul says listen 
in the same way in your life, child of God. God, by His grace, has given you everything necessary for life and godliness. At the same time, we are to pursue that. We are to discipline our lives. You say, I don't like that word discipline. What does that mean? Here's what it means. For Michael Phelps to be a successful athlete, there were things in his life he built in rhythms, he built in habits, he built in patterns. There were things that he built his life around that enabled him to be a successful swimmer. At the same time, there were things he said yes to. At the same time, there were things that he said no to. It may not even have been things that were wrong. It may not even have been things that were sin. That's not the point. It was things that he realized, if I do this, if I spend my time here, if I engage in that, there's no way I can... Achieve the goal of being an Olympic swimmer. Discipline in and of itself is this. It is structure in our life where we say yes to some things and we say no to others. And the point is we build habits and rhythms. Listen, we take advantage of the things God has given to us to grow in Christ-likeness. We take advantage of the Word of God. We take advantage of the capacity to call on Him in prayer. We say it every week. We press into community. We engage in a life group and a study group. And you say, that's not even in the Bible. The principle's there. That's the point. We have one another. I need you to grow. There's a habit in my life of engaging in community. There's a habit in my life of gathering with the people of God. There's a habit in my life of structuring my finances in such a way that we honor God first. Why? It is a structure and a rhythm and a habit of my life, and it trains my heart to trust Him. (laughs) And it allows me to have immense influence by what God has entrusted to me. There's things we build in our lives. Listen, there's things in our lives that may not be sin, may not be evil. For someone who's trying to walk with God, listen, you realize what sin is. You say, okay, I want rid of that. Lord, not only is it right or wrong, God, is it helping me grow? Are the things in my life I need to push to the side because they are hindering my growth? I got tons of them in my life. Listen, you say, what are they? Well, that's my business. I'll tell you one. I'm hindered in my pursuit of Christ if I have an over intake of television. For me. You say, what are you talking about, man? Listen, my capacity, my sharpness, my zeal, my vigor, I get mentally lazy if I sit in front of the TV very long. I, I know that about me. So I, I, in, in snippets, in portions, my kids, they, they, I drive my kids crazy trying to get them to quit watching. We, we don't watch a lot of TV at our house. It drives my kids nuts. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Here's the question for you and me. What habits, practices, rhythms do I need to say yes to in order to grow in Christ-likeness? What things do I need to say no to that are currently hindering my growth? Only you can answer that question. So that's why we said earlier, Lord, help me not just to be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. There may be some very practical steps of application that the Spirit of God's bringing to your mind right now. God, give us grace to be doers, not merely hearers of the word of God. Number three, these next three are quick. So godly influence flows out of a well-nourished soul. Godly influence flows out of a well-disciplined life. Reality number three, godly influencers provide a visible example to follow. 
Paul says this, 1 Timothy 4. He says, Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. If you write in your Bible, circle that word example. It means a picture, a model, a type, something I can visibly look at to see a pattern. Paul says to the church there in Ephesus, Timothy, as you're walking with God, as you're pursuing godliness, and your progress is evident at all, be that example. And he gives some, he gives some particular areas. He says in speech. And listen, that's a whole lot more than, well, Timothy never cussed. No, that's, that's the idea of Proverbs 18. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Ephesians 4, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. Listen, it may give grace to those who hear. And when people are in your presence, what comes out of your mouth is truth and it builds up. It doesn't tear down. It is truthful. It convicts where it needs to convict. It admonishes. It is life. Death and life from the power of the tongue. The godly man or woman are life givers to those around them by what comes out of their mouth. As opposed to the poison that sometimes comes out of our mouth. Paul says in your speech, in your conduct, conduct means just your basic manner of life. It's the idea of how I treat others, how I lead my family, how I do my job, how I treat my employees, how I have fun, how I live, what I do in my life. My conduct, there's this model of godliness. I love how God has designed the church. The church is to be a place where we can all come together and see these models and see these examples. I want to be a godly husband. I need those men in my life I can watch. I want to learn how to live generously. I need those models that I can look to. I want to learn to share my faith boldly. I want those models to look at. That's the way God builds His church. You need that and I need that. Paul says in love, love is self-sacrificing for the sake of others. Faith is faithfulness, truthfulness, purity. It's more than merely avoiding things. It is that, but the word refers to purity of act, purity of thought, the innocence and integrity of heart in every area. When someone talks to you, they know they're not just hearing one thing and you're going to go do something else, or you're not saying one thing and there's really another person Integrity is a oneness. Purity is a oneness about your life. Paul says, be the example in those things. Number four, two more and we're finished. Godly influencers never stop growing. 1 Timothy 4, Paul says, take pains with these things. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all The word progress is a military term. It means an advancing of an army. It means like a general who sees that there's more ground to take and is never content with the static nature of his army. More, we're going to take more ground, we're going to grow. Not just so you can say you're growing, not just for the eyes of others, but you are so longing for Christ and so longing that Christ is glorified in your life. God, I want to grow. Help me to grow. I'm not satisfied with where I am. I'm not satisfied with how I love others. I'm not satisfied with my boldness. I'm not satisfied with my generosity. Lord, I want to grow. Is that you? Is that you? I'll never forget quick story to illustrate this for some crazy reason when I was younger before we went to Vegas we were at a church called First Baptist Woodstock in Atlanta and we were part of a church planning team that was going to be sent out 
pastor of the church there is one of my heroes, still is, a man named Johnny Hunt. He's kind of a giant, a legend, if you will. He asked me over lunch one time, he said, listen, I want you to preach in our Sunday night service. Uh, I'd only preached like 10 times in my whole life. This is a church of thousands, and in my mind, I was scared to death. So I get up there on a Sunday night, I've got all my notes together, I'm ready, I'm a nervous wreck, and I didn't know Johnny, I didn't know Pastor Johnny was going to be there, you know, so... Here I am looking out over thousands. I am absolutely scared to death. And then Pastor Johnny's actually there. And he sits down on the front row. I'll never forget it. And he opens his Bible. And he opens his journal. And he gets his pen out. And he just sits there and looks at me. And I'm just falling apart. And I think he's either going to watch me real close because I want to say something stupid, which was absolutely likely. Or, and I'll never forget it. Here's a man, 25 years my elder, is so much more experienced in ministry and life than I can even imagine. And he's sitting on the front row. You know why? Because he's hungry to grow and he thinks he can learn something even from me. I'll never forget that. That was a model to me. Hunger to grow. This life of influence is that. Never stop growing in your hunger and desire for Jesus and that your life reflects and lives out more and more of Jesus. Number five, and we're finished. Godly influence occurs over time. Godly influence, significant godly influence, rarely occurs quickly. Occurs over time. Verse 16, Paul says, Pay close attention to yourself, your life, and to your teaching, your public ministry. Persevere. 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 The word persevere means to remain upon or to continue in. It's the idea of, okay, God, you've planted me here. And listen, you know, we're a sending church and we want to send people. We want to send you to the ends of the earth. As God leads, as God calls, but sometimes God calls and He says, No, plant, stay where you are, remain where you're planted. I have influence for there you can't imagine. Influence many times comes over time. Something that it really is troubling to me as a pastor is that for the most part, pastors have incredibly short tenures at churches. The average tenure of a pastor, particularly in the Southern Baptist Convention, is three to three and a half years. Let's be honest with you, it's hard to have any kind of significant influence or impact in three to three and a half years. For me, for us, you want to know how you can pray for me, how you can pray for even your other pastors and elders here, is that yes, we would be obedient to whatever God calls, but we would be willing to persevere and to stay where God has planted us to see a massive influence in this church and in this community for the long haul. Persevere. It's been very troubling to me recently. I've kept up with, I mean, if I said their names, you would know them, very well-known pastors who've had to step away from ministry, and they've stepped away for reasons like this. Alcoholism, domineering leadership, inappropriate behavior, and the one most recently, I just listened to it last week, very prominent pastor, church of thousands, said he had to step away from ministry because he simply had nothing left and he was running on empty. He simply could not persevere. Hey Lord, I want to have significant influence. I want you to have significant influence. Sometimes that means persevering. 
remaining where God has placed you for the glory of God. Influence is the capacity to have an effect on the character, the development, or the behavior of someone else. I want to ask the team to come on up on stage, and we're going to sing together in just a minute, but I want to simply remind you of this. When you walk out of this room in just a few minutes, as a child of God, you have immense capacity, the power, the influence of a godly life. Does it happen by chance? Godly influence flows, flows out of a well-nourished soul. It only happens as the fruit of a well-disciplined life. For you this morning, as we have a response time here in just a moment, but for you this morning, Lord, are there some things in my life I need to say yes to? Build my life around them. Are there some things in my life that I need to... I need to shed my life up. I need to rid my life up. Then it may not even be sin. You're hindering me. Are you that example that Paul talked about? Is Christ so evident in your life? Are you satisfied where you are? Or is this hunger to grow? Are you willing to persevere where God has planted you until he calls you somewhere else? I'm just going to bow your head for just a second. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to Sit before the Lord there for a moment. Maybe God's put a step of obedience or action on your heart, whatever that may be. Just sit there if your head's bowed for a minute, kind of in a moment of worshipful response. Lord, help us to be not only hearers, but doers of the word. Very clearly, it may be that you're here this morning and you simply do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never been born again. You've never been transformed by Christ. You're still trying to be good enough. You're still trying to cover your own sin. You're still trying to do the religious thing and you're empty. Everything we've just said has no effect in your life because the Spirit of God is not in you. You've never been born again. If that's you this morning and you realize for the first time, I need to be changed. I want Christ. I want to give my life to Him right there where you're seated. Call out to Him in faith. Jesus, I need you. I believe you died to bear my sin. You rose to give me life. You're alive today. I can trust you. I can call out on you. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. For the rest of you, as you sing, as we stand, we're going to sing a time of response. Trust you to be obedient as God guides. Lord, we love you this morning. Change us. Help us to be doers and not merely hearers. To the glory of Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Would you go ahead?